Hi everyone, Alicia Volshift Dust here for a special Halloween crossover episode with Maester Anthony of Electric Bookaloo. Electric Bookaloo, a House of the Dragon podcast, is a lore nerd deep dive into everything A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, going chapter by chapter through the books and episode by episode through Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon to analyze and understand all the intricate cultures, politics, and character development. Anthony regularly also has guests on to talk about things related to this world, and I was so lucky to be one of them this autumn. Uh, we had a great conversation about Poe's influence on George R. R. Martin with stories from Martin's career and writings, and uh, about the influence of specifically Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Fall of the House of Usher, on that world. Keep in mind that we had this conversation before the Netflix show had been released, so you'll hear us speculate about the show a bit, but we hadn't seen it yet. Now that I have seen the show and loved it, by the way, you can expect a complete breakdown of all the ways Poe's stories were woven together to create Mike Flanagan's version later this week. I recorded the episode last night with my sister and we had a lot of fun. You might gain some amusing insight into my family life growing up. But that's not the only Fall of the House of Usher episode I've recorded. Watch out for my discussion about the show with John to land on the Lorehounds feed soon. And you can already find my and Dead Eye Jedi Bob's reading of the Fall of the House of Usher and the Raven with full audio effects in the book club. I snuck in a little preview of that last one to this episode. Anthony had included an excerpt of Christopher Lee reading part of the Fall of the House of Usher, which you should check out on his feed if you're interested. But I went ahead and replaced it with my reading of that exact part of the story to give you a little taste of the book club version. You'll find links in the show notes to the Electric Bookaloo podcast for all the Song and Ice and Fire fans and to the book club for anyone who wants to hear the rest of that episode uh, with the Fall of House of Usher reading. And yeah, enjoy our chat and I'll see you back here later this week for more Poe and our special Sisters Do Horror segment. And I said, what is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulaloom, Ulaloom, tis the vault of thy lost. Ulaloom. Don't worry, you'll understand in a few minutes why I chose that poem. So, Alicia, I reached out to you thinking that maybe we could talk about some parallels of some of the stories that you know better than I do, uh, parallels between those stories and Game of Thrones. And you suggested that we do something uh, Edgar Allan Poe related. Right. As you can probably tell by the darkness of George R. R. Martin's writing, he does have some Poe influence growing up, which, yeah, you can see in iconic parts of his stories. And uh, I thought that was a great thing to discuss around this time of year. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does not come as any surprise to me. We know that he influenced in a few ways by Lovecraft. And of course, right. you know, why not? Why not reach into the godfather of classic modern horror, um, Edgar Allan Poe. So I'm not a huge Poe aficionado. You know, I, I have read a few of his short stories. And uh, what you suggested to me was that maybe we both reread uh, Fall of the House of Usher and talk about some parallels between that story and Game of Thrones. So I've I've reread that and I'm kind of shocked that there's so much here to discuss. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, well so just a little background is 
that, yeah, Martin has come out, you know, on several occasions and stated that he is a fan of Poe. You know, he helped fund a bust that's currently in a library in um, Boston for Poe. And he, a few years ago, he told a story uh, in a speech where he said that he got a, an assignment in high school to rewrite the end of Poe's story, The Pit and the Pendulum. And so spoilers for this story, uh, but it ends with a last minute saved, which he of, of the guy who's in the pit having the pendulum about to slice him open, rats ready to eat his entrails. But he saved to the last minute because the Inquisition ends and Poe, oh, sorry, and Martin thought that that was wholly unearned. And uh, <laughs> so he rewrote the end of the story so that, yeah, he it slices him open and he, the rats eat him and he dies. And he says the entire class cheered. And that was one of the early signs to him where he's like, I don't know, maybe this writing thing's kind of cool. <laughs> so this is kind of a something of an origin story of George as a writer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's fantastic. So that's general. But why The House of Usher is, well, first of all, there's going to be a Mike Flanagan Netflix adaptation coming out. Okay. And that's, and I'm going to be covering it on my podcast, We'll Shift Dust, where I'm actually going to do a special episode with my sister, who I grew up watching horror with. And I've seen that it's it's a very loose adaptation. But yeah, it is one of his most iconic stories. And I can definitely see the parallels in it. Like, I'm curious to hear what you thought. But, you know, places like Heron Hall, uh, mm-hmm. the twins, obviously. Um. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. I, uh, I I just want to say real quick, uh, in praise of Wool Shift Dust, I really did appreciate your coverage during Silo. Oh, thank you. Um, and in many ways, I appreciated the... You know, I was not a book reader of Silo, so to have the companion podcast was really, really enhanced my experience of that show. Anyway, oh, you guys did a great job with that. Thank you so much. Um, I ended up having to do a deep dive into the history of Heron Hall as soon as I right. finished reading this, mm-hmm. which we should probably discuss at some point. But before we do that, I thought I could just lay out a few broad brushstrokes of the story, and uh, maybe we could uh, fill in some of the gaps after I do that. Okay. Great. So this is a story that was published in a series, and do do correct me if I get any of this wrong. Um, this is a story that was published in a series of segments published more widely in the uh, monthly paper. I, I'm not sure if I want to call it right, a magazine. I'm, yeah, I mean it's like uh, early literary magazines, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was this was uh, often how short stories were published uh, in Mm -hmm. 1839. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is 1839, and I think it was a series of four parts of a short story. Uh, The basic idea is that the main character is returning to a childhood friend's house, and this particular childhood friend, um, Roderick Usher, is the inheritor of this great mansion, and so he, this guy comes from wealth, but his family seemingly has some kind of curse hanging over it. And so he remembers his friend, you know, his boyhood friend, you know, full of life. And he arrives and he realizes that the house is sort of doing damage, both psychologically and physically, to both his childhood friend and the friend's sister, Madeline. And, right. um, and when he, 
arrives at the property, the property really feels cursed in a way. And uh, then he goes inside. Of course, nothing, <laughs> nothing changes his view. His friend just is just convinced that he's going to suffer the same curse that the rest of his family has suffered. And his sister seems to be further along uh, in her, I don't know, ailment. You know, she's sort of wasting away. And she seems to be closer to death than the brother. And then I, I don't, I'm not sure how much more to say about this, but for full spoilers, I guess. Yeah, I guess if, if you haven't read the story, you know, it, it would maybe take 20 minutes to read it and you can get a free PDF on many yeah, it's different only websites. Like, it's only like 10 pages or something. Right. Yeah. You could probably pause the podcast and, and go, you know, read that 10 page PDF. It's just a, fantastically wonderful very very descriptive story as you would expect from the great Edgar Allan Poe but it ends with a punch but I feel like we should talk before we talk about anything else talk about kind of the setting the the world Mm -hmm. that's created by this first segment of the story which I think probably does point us in the direction of Martin, or at least Martin, at least, is consciously including homages to this setting. Right. Um, and I was thinking Hall, and I'm glad that you mentioned Hall because it, it, it affirms what I was thinking. Yeah, because Hall stands out amongst, you know, all of the buildings in uh, the world of A Song of Ice and Fire as the one that, yeah, it just something feels wrong about it. It just gives yeah. people a bad feeling. Right, 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 right. Not just its lack of luck, but just uh, something icky. So I wanted to read this little section here uh, and and see if, um, see if this struck you as interesting. About the whole mansion and domain, there hung an atmosphere peculiar to themselves and their immediate vicinity an atmosphere which had no affinity with the air of heaven, but had reeked up from the decayed trees and the gray wall and the silent tarn, a pestilent and mystic vapor, dull, sluggish, faintly discernible, and leaden-hued. So I draw that out because it almost feels like there's this heaven and hell duality happening Right in the story, and it almost feels like if you're living on the earth and you're breathing the air, you're a creature of heaven. Of course, hell's not too far away below your feet, but in this particular place, the atmosphere is not coming down from heaven, it's coming up from hell. That's kind of the sense I got from that paragraph. What do you think? I I guess it's linking to whatever this, um, they they call it a, a dungeon, spelled I guess this 18th century way, D O N J O N. Where yeah, and this is again we're in a spoiler territory where once the sister passes away, they store her body, and they're creating this sense of, of dread connected with that with that mm-hmm. sort of makeshift crypt. And I, for me, that seems like the point of the story. That I wonder. Of course, you know she comes, she gets back up at the end, and she appears all bloody, and mm-hmm. um, our I guess we can assume it's a reliable narrator. 
he sees her. So that must have happened, but that could be medically possible. But I do wonder if this is one of those stories that's in that realm that I was taught in literary college um, was the fantastique, which is where it's not neither confirming supernatural elements or not. Mm. Um, and maybe the sickness comes from within from, you know, the, the just the sickness of this. I know they're going to play up this part in the Netflix adaptation that's about like the sickness of this family and their clinging to money and power and what they'll do for that. So, and this is something that Martin does a lot in his work in that when he first introduces something that has a magical property, it doesn't smack you in the face as, hey, there's something supernatural happening here. It kind of almost uh, disguises itself as, is this psychology? Is this superstition? You know, th- there might be an, is this literary illusion? You know, you when you first encounter something like this in Martin's world, you think, well, there could be a lot of explanations for this. Magic isn't necessarily the only way to explain what's happening here. Right. Uh, and I almost feel like in, maybe he borrowed that from Poe. In this story, it's, it's very much a psychological and physical condition that may or may not be related to kind of some hell, hell-born curse or something. I mean, I guess you see that in a lot of horror as well. But it's yeah. sort of a slow burn into the horrific here. But I feel like I guess maybe you see it in a lot of horror because a lot of horror also pulls from mm-hmm. from Poe. I mean, of course, there were other you also cited Lovecraft earlier, but he, I don't think he's quite doing the same thing with, you know, he has that they also they both explore that sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Poe's really looking at the familial connections because, you know, he had a very complicated family life himself, becoming orphaned at a young age and raised by parents who um never officially adopted him and he had a tumultuous relationship with them throughout his life until his foster mother also died um so he's he's writing from a place with a lot of familial strife himself and uh pain so i want to talk about the family element here because i i'm really you know i'm halfway through reading rereading clash right now and i'm really getting the sense that repeated over and over and over in Martin's world is this in-world sensibility that you can predict what someone will do by looking at their family inclinations. Right. Okay. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like ironborn are always going to act like ironborn. So why, why think that Theon is any different? Um, or, you know, Lannisters are always going to be greedy above everything else. Right. Uh, why tra- Or Freys are always going to be self-serving and, and cowardly and, you know, whatever. It almost feels like Targaryens are always going to conquer. Right. Uh, but, know, that, that's the kind of the feeling I get from yeah. Martin's world. Yeah, especially with a character like Sansa, where the question becomes, well, is she a Tully or is she a Stark? It's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> is she going to be her own person? <laughs> right, right, right. And I think it's a very old sensibility. I, I, I live for a couple years in, in central Illinois, and I've lived all over the world. I've lived in Canada and Zimbabwe and England, and, and I never felt more 
culturally alienated than when I was living in central Illinois because there was a sense that if we don't know who your grandfather is, we can't trust you. Right. And I think that's a, a very old tribal view of things that I think can easily lead to prejudice. And so I think that in many ways, I, th- I think that there's a problem here that we experience in Clash because it's like if maybe if the Starks treated Theon better, maybe he th- they would have had right. a different a different relationship with him in the end. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Is it a, a self fulfilling prophecy? Is it is do we hate Lannisters? You know, this is Catelyn sort of capturing Tyrion in Book One or whatever. Would would the story have unfolded if she didn't have a, a, a Lannister prejudice? Well, I guess Jamie and Tyrion are the ones who only only ones who somewhat defy their family expectations. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But in many ways, they are both. You know, they're both fighting for their family. And, right. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that Tyrion absolutely is with the person who's propping up Joffrey. Right. And of course, Jamie's going to do anything for her sister, right? So, yeah. Uh, e- even if they kind of feel the heaviness of doing that, maybe they, they hate their family. They're, they're still going to be very tribal. But especially with, I feel like, especially with the events of Clash, where Theon is trying, is basically kind of falling back into this old Ironborn. Mm hmm. I guess the old this old Ironborn tradition. Yeah. No one is for the Ironborn. Everyone is against the Ironborn. And that is partially because the Ironborn is against everyone else. Right. And of course, the, you know, maybe this is also going to play out in Theon's narrative. And my my feeling is that, like, he's living into this family narrative that was decided a thousand years ago. Yeah, but I feel like uh, um, a lot of people, if they move back to a conservative place that they're from, um, they might find themselves under the same pressures to conform. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and Theon has a, a problem with the the drowned god, and he doesn't. He you know, he's trying to have a little healthy skepticism about that whole business. Um, so anyway, I, back to the House of Usher here. I feel like. When the, you know, when the POV character in this short story arrives and sees Roderick Usher and he he kind of repeats for the audience that this is their fate. This is always the fate of all of the members of House Usher is that they have this malady that confounds physicians and it makes everyone's it shortens everyone's life and they all kind of waste away toward the end mm-hmm. even if they're very young people and this is sort of the the reputation of house of usher and this guy roderick is absolutely buying into the story and so you kind of feel like is this a self-fulfilling prophecy or is there something you know is there magic afoot right exactly especially with the drama of the last act you know, is that an act of God or is that a coincidence? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I feel like we need a little bit of an excursus into sort of the deep Ironborn lore uh, to understand what's happening here. Because I think it 
it absolutely is going to help us understand the connections between Martin and Poe here. Okay. So I think everyone knows that everyone listening to this podcast, at least will know that Heron Hall is named for someone named Heron, the black and Heron, the black, you know, is sort of like almost a, a figure of legend, but he's left behind this massive house, right? This massive uh, castle. And he is, uh, he's Ironborn. So he is the king of the islands and riverlands. So it's, it's really important to know that sort of this guy is Theon Greyjoy's ancestor, if not, a, a, you know, a direct relative or whatever. They both come from that Ironborn culture. And importantly, the Ironborn have this antithetical relationship between their mythology, their religion, the gods that they worship, and the Weirwood Tree Network. So this, to me, is is a kind of crucial to understanding why Harrenhal is haunted. And I think that there's maybe a little kernel of that in the paragraph that I read, um, that that the, there's something about the rotten soil that's coming up from the the trees that's haunting right. this place. And so, um, okay, can I just interject yeah. one fun fact that yeah. there may be uh, another Poe connection with the name Weirwood? Um, mm. There's a Poe poem called Ula Lum, and it's it's about a a guy who's despondent uh one night and he goes wandering and then realizes that he's un- subconsciously wandered into the crib who died a year before and in that they it's set in the so-called region of weir and um ah. yeah in the poem there's there's a line about the ghoul haunted weir wood sorry the ghoul haunted woodland of weir oh, say that five times fast fantastic i yeah, love it sorry no that's fantastic um and i'll just reread this an atmosphere which had no affinity with the air of heaven, but which had reeked up from the decayed trees, it says. Mm-hmm. So just to just to remind folks that, you know, the Ironborn worship the drowned god, and they view the weirwood trees as demon trees, and they call them the yig, which I think is absolutely a, an homage to the Old Norse word for terrible. And, uh, you know, the, the Yig Drassel is sort of the great tree that connects the nine, the nine worlds mm-hmm. um, in Norse lore. And so the Ironborn are kind of based on Norse culture. So what they view the, the weirwood trees not as of the old gods. They view them as the old demons. And so when Heron arrives at the, the god's eye... Heron decides he's going to cut down weirwood trees to create the rafters of his of his great castle. And you kind of see that like this this kind of bespeaks the old ironboard enmity with the yig. These demon trees are are not to be worshipped, they're to be cut down and, and built with. And I think it's this I think homage to this poet story where the house itself, which is situated by a lake, mm-hmm. is absolutely haunted because its its atmosphere comes up from the earth from these rotting trees. 
And it's not subtle at all. I feel like Heron Hall is an homage to the House of Usher. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think in both cases, yeah, it's in the House of Usher, He's it's sort of describing how the house is almost like rotting from its core, from its foundations, um, like the family. <laughs> right, 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 uh, right. But you, you know what other family I see a big parallel with is the Lannisters. Okay. Um, and not just because they're twins, but because they are a, a family so consumed in their own greed that... Um, uh. That they end up, well, what what happens with, you know, for instance, the Lannisters in the main um, A Song of Ice and Fire series, you, they, you start to see them fall apart because they're being eaten from within by this, by this greed. Interesting. I, I mean, I, all right, so let's talk about the story a little bit more. Our man who's hanging out with, we should probably know his name. Um, yeah, I, I just looked it up and... It doesn't say his name. It just says his best and only friend. You know what's interesting? Um, I saw the preview for the House of Usher thing on Netflix, and it seems like they are not including the narrator. So we're getting it from Roderick's point of view. That's so interesting. And they also added a shape-shifting demon, so whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, uh, so our POV character, uh, who remains nameless... He spends some time with his friend, uh, tries to lift his spirits. They do a little bit of music together. They do a little bit of art together. And after a while, you know, he, he spends enough time there that he actually sees the terrible fate of the sister, who seems close to death anyway. And uh, they end up burying her alive? I mean, I guess that's a question, right? Yeah. Did they bury her um, or did they bury her alive? And I think that... I that... mean, apparently she was alive in the end, yeah. Not hear it. Yes, I hear it. And have heard it. Long, long, long. Many minutes, many hours, many days I have heard it, yet I dared not. Oh, pity me. Miserable wretch that I am. I dared not. I dared not speak. We have put her living in the tomb. Said I not that my senses were acute. I now tell you that I heard her first feeble movements in the hollow coffin. I heard them many, many days ago, yet I dared dared not speak. And now, tonight, Ethelred, (laughs) ha 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 ha. The breaking of the hermit's door, and the death cry of the dragon, and the clangor of the shield say, rather the rending of her coffin, and the grating of the iron hinges of her prison, and her struggles within the coppered archway of the vault. Oh, whither shall I fly? Will she not be here anon? Is she not... Hurrying to upbraid me for my haste? Have I not heard her footsteps on the stair? Do I not distinguish that heavy and horrible beating of her heart, madman? Here he sprang furiously to his feet and shrieked out his syllables as if, in the effort, he were giving up his soul. Madman! I tell you that she now stands at the door. All right. 
and given the kind of the the connection between the Riverlands and Harrenhal, I wonder if this is where Lady Stoneheart comes from. Mm-hmm. Because of course, you know, the Tullys have this connection to the to the, the green site and Right, resurrected from the dead, covered in blood, yep. Yeah. So it could it could be that this that Lady Stoneheart is sort of an homage to Madeline Usher, who is drudged up from certain death. Who, well, yeah, who fights her way out of it could, because the worst part of um, the story, you know, the most horrifying part is that her brother, who you know, she was his only companion. They were twins, not quite in the Lannister way, but you know, very. They they were all each other had, mm-hmm. and he said that he could hear her scratching beneath, but didn't was like too ashamed to let her out or something. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> just so 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 horrible. <laughs> uh and so of course she it's she cool, returns yeah. and right. uh she she returns as someone who has been buried alive. And so I, I do think that there's some kind of connection here between the Riverlands and the God's Eye Lake and the the, the great cursed castle and then eventually um you know the the resurrection of of the, of the sister here. Um, yeah, I, I noted a few other connections here, but I was I was wondering whether or not these twins, the the twin brother and sister here. I wonder if this reminds you at all of the of, of any of the Targaryens that we meet along the way. Okay. Mm. Well, yeah, like I said, my brain first went to Lannister with them, but mm. I, I can see also a Targaryen connection. I think in the TV adaptation, it might be more like that. They might. Uh, but here we see them so reduced that we only the only way we see, you know, we just hear descriptions of uh, the decay, what's decaying in their house. And, you know, the fact that the brother is so pompous and full of himself is an indication that this is a family of of uh who's used to having everything they say matter um but they're dying when when we arrive so we don't get to see them in like their dragon blazing glory so it's more like yeah maybe um i mean that that there are some targaryens that that we could make that parallel to like literally rotting on the throne (laughs) right right yeah, I was just thinking, like, in terms of, like, the, the conversation we had earlier about the children of a particular house are going to act a particular way. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is, you don't see this anywhere more sort of in your face than w- with the Targaryen lineage. It's almost like there's this magic right. slash psychosis that goes into the makeup of the family tree uh, or the family vine or whatever we want to call it. It's almost like you can't escape the family curse. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something here about, like you, like you mentioned, sort of the, the greed aspect. Like this kind of is inter, intergenerational greed mm-hmm. that it's commenting on. But I also think that you could work this in with, like, we know that certain certain addictions will pass from generation to generation. So, you know, of course, we don't want to go too far down this road, but there is a there is a sense in which, you know, the inclinations of the parents will absolutely bleed into 
the fates of the children. Uh, you could do that with addiction. You can do that with, with certain kinds of uh, psychological conditions, whether it's right. by, by way of nature or nurture. Um, there are certain, for lack, uh, lack of a better term, there are certain sins that don't just affect the person who commits the act. Mm-hmm. There are certain sins that will be felt, you know, for generations to come. Absolutely. And I kind of feel I, like Martin likes to play with that. And then, of course, here we have the these, uh, you know, these children of Usher. But one interesting difference is that um, unlike the Targaryens, where there's a lot of infighting, they make clear that the Usher family has but one lineage all the way down. You know, they, they did not branch, <laughs> but, you know, because there was uh, there was a lot of problems back during that time with wealthy families where there'd be a lot of children and they divide up the properties and the land holdings just get smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. So by having one line, they're keeping everything uh, straight down the lineage until this final collapse. Well, which, and yeah, that it, kind of, it doesn't explicitly say it in the story, but it does make me wonder, like, is this a Targaryen vine uh, kind of problem? Meaning, would, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, meaning that most most trees branch out because you marry right, outside right. the family, but the right. Targaryens do marry within. And of course, mm-hmm. these we see that both the brother and sister have not married, and they've not left the house, mm-hmm. and they've they've become very insular in this way. Right. I think yeah, because we see with the Targaryens when they do marry out. Um, it's like if there are two different branches of Targaryens existing, their instincts will be to prune each other. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Um, I I really enjoyed uh, rereading this, and uh, I think that it's kind of undeniable that this had some kind of influence on the Harrenhal plot. And, you know, may, maybe it's a little, it's just a little headcanon on my part, but I think maybe did plant a seed for the Lady Stoneheart plot as well. Right. I think, yeah, you've convinced me of that. That, that makes sense. <laughs> um, um, do you have any more that you'd like to point out? Um, no, I just, you know, if uh, people read this story and are curious or are curious about the pit and the pendulum, um, I think the more you read of Poe, the more you're going to be like, oh, that reminds me so much of yeah. this character or this motif or, yeah. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought up the the homage to the the wood of of uh, the wood of Weir. And what what story was that again? It's a poem called Ulalain. Okay, all right, that's right. Okay, I'm so Ulalain, glad that you sorry. mentioned that because I had no idea about that. Yeah, I mean, but it also some people say that that comes from the last name of uh, someone from I think it was the Rolling Stones or something. Oh no, uh, Grateful Dead, and that that Grateful is Dead, I think. Sorry. I, I mean, I know that that Martin's a big deadhead. Um, and I think Bobby Weir would be sort of a, a good guess. He does include from time to time homages to bands that have been important to him, but it doesn't but the have fact to that it's be, a wood. Yeah. Right. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, an either or thing. I don't think. No, that's true. Uh, Alicia, thank you so much for your time. And um, what is uh wool shift dust covering presently? Yeah, so we are, uh, despite the d- Dune delay, we will be continuing with uh, at least the first part of that coverage. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, in, in October, we have uh, a special episode coming out 
for talking about the Netflix adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher. And um, there will be a special bonus reading with sound effects of uh, the story by Poe on the in the Woolship Dust Book Club, oh, uh, free for book club members. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you.